Oh, good morning. Man, celebrating senior and high school recognition day, and I'm pretty sure I just blinked, and they were through high school. It goes fast. You know, they, they tell you high school, um, the, uh, you have a freshman year and a senior year, and in between it's a blur. And uh, I, think that's, I think that's really true from personal experience. But congratulations, you guys. I'm so grateful for you. And uh, make sure we get to see you once in a while, okay? Hey, um, last week Jeff started a series that we're calling Seeing Jesus. And the truth is that sometimes we feel like um, maybe we grew up in the church and we're very confident that we know who Jesus is. We know uh, what Jesus looks like. We know what Jesus is supposed to do. And, and so we sort of come into life and we come into circumstances with all these preconceived ideas that we're really sure that we know who he is. And, and then we get fooled or we get disappointed or, or maybe we grew up outside the church and we never had a clear picture. Or the picture that we had of Jesus is far different from who he really is. And so as we thought about coming out of Easter and the story of the resurrection and the truth of the resurrection, we thought, let's take a look at Jesus. Let's remind ourselves uh, who Jesus is and let's see if that we can see Jesus more clearly maybe than we've seen him before because we all, we all get confused sometimes. We all aren't sure. Sometimes we think we're seeing what's right and, and we really aren't. And, and I've got a couple of examples for you how, how that can get confused. I have one picture for you um, up here. You guys familiar with that picture? You've seen it a bunch of times, right? If you look at it from one angle, you see a young woman and her face is turned uh, a certain direction. But if you look at it even a little bit closer and you look at the, the necklace that she's wearing, it becomes the kind of a slashed mouth of an older woman and um, a completely, suddenly it becomes a completely different picture, but, but when you first look at it, you sort of have this one idea, this one image of, of who she is, and then when you look a little bit closer, uh, maybe it changes for you. Did, it, did you flip it? Did you see it? The little slash down at her throat becomes a mouth. Okay, nice. See, we're, work with me on this, all right? This is good. Let's go to the next one. It's just a circle, but it looks like it's twisted, but it's actually just a circle, but it's an optical illusion, and, and it's really difficult. But we think that we see it a certain way, but in reality, it's actually a, a perfect circle. Let's go to the next one. Now, this is sort of interesting, because which center dot is the biggest? It's an optical illusion because they're both the same size, but it changes because of the other dots around it. So when you first look at it, the center dot on the left looks much bigger, looks bigger than the one on the right, and yet they're both exactly the same size. It's an optical illusion. We think we see something, but, but it's really different than, than we see. I have another one. I like this one. So you see the woman on the right-hand side? And then on the left-hand side, there's a little guy playing a saxophone. It's another optical illusion. Maybe you don't see anything. And um, the only thing I can recommend for that is therapy. But there's a woman on the right, and then there's a saxophone player on the left. And if you start to focus on one or the other, uh, it, it can get really confusing, or you can lose one. But we think that we see one thing, and then all of a sudden it's pointed out and we see something 
uh, totally different. Now, the last one we're going to look at, I want you to look at it very carefully and very slowly because uh, they say that if you look at it intently enough, if you let it, look at it closely enough, that, that uh, in a few seconds, a, a giraffe is going to appear out of this picture. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so I, I couldn't help throwing that one in. But the truth is that sometimes what we think we see is really different than what's really there. And so this morning, what I'd like you to do is to, to take a few minutes with me and let's take a look at Jesus. And I think as we take a look at Jesus, we're going to see ourselves maybe in a little different way as well. We're going to follow up from um, what Pastor Jeff talked about last week. He talked about John 1, 1 through 18. That's called the prologue in the Gospel of John. That's John, uh, the apostle, setting the stage for the ministry of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to leap into the very first week of what's called Jesus's public ministry. So John 1, starting at verse 19, I'm just going to read uh, three verses here. It says, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests, referring to John the Baptist, he says, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you a prophet? They said, and he said, no. Now, John, if you recall, is out at the Jordan River, and he has this one-string guitar that he keeps playing, this one message that he keeps preaching uh, to all of these people, and that message is repent and be baptized, and all of these people are coming down. They're both Jews and Gentiles uh, who are coming down to be baptized, and so the religious leaders, and when you read in the New Testament, it says the Jews, that's always code for the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. So the religious leaders send some, um, some other Pharisees, they send some priests actually, and Levites uh, to ask uh, John the Baptist who he is. They are very concerned about the crowds that are gathering, they're concerned about the people that are coming to him, they're kinda, he's kind of throwing things off, and they have a primary concern that somebody's going to come along and disrupt their order, and then also create some chaos that's going to that's bring attention uh, to the Romans, and they'll come and have, you know, crack down on what they would consider insurgents, and there'll be trouble. And so they're very concerned about anything that's unusual that happens. So they send these priests and Levites. Now, Levites are sort of interesting characters in the New Testament. They, um, they have two roles, um, which really, really make no sense, but th- they're two roles. They're sort of the temple police, and they're also the musicians, now, how often do you put those two things together? But that's who the Levites were in the, in the, in the New Testament. They, they served as the temple police, but they all were also the, the temple musicians. So whenever there was a procession, you know, the Passover, the Feast of Pentecost or anything, and, and the priests were leaving the temple and marching through the streets, out in front of them would be the Levites uh, playing their instruments, leading the procession. Well, that was their role. That's what they did. So they were sent to talk to John uh, and ask him these questions. They asked him uh, three things. They asked him first, are you the Christ? 
And then are you Elijah, you know, arguably one of the most famous prophets of the Old Testament? And then they said, are you the prophet? Uh, or they're just covering all of their bases. Are you somebody that we should know? Uh, have you ever had that happen, you know, or been someplace and, and you see somebody and you're pretty sure they're famous, but you're not sure who they are? And you're kind of like, are you somebody I should know? Well, that's kind of what they were wondering with John the Baptist. Was he somebody that they should know? And so all the questioners have gotten so far from John is who he's not. All they've gotten so far is no. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. Now, the, the word Messiah and Christ are the same. Messiah is the Hebrew form. And then you have Christ. It means the anointed one. It was always the words, that, they were always the words that were used um, to, to refer to the person, the one that God would send. When God would send his son, when God would send somebody to, to back uh, to Israel, he was gonna be the Messiah or the Christ, uh, the anointed one. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago that Christ isn't Jesus' last name, but it's a title. He's Jesus the Christ, not Jesus Christ like Larry Anderson, but he's Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that God promised. And so they ask him these questions and he says, no, uh, I'm not any of those. And so verse tw verses 22 and 23, they say to him, well, then who are you? Uh, we need to give an answer to those who sent us. We've got to go back to our bosses and tell them who you are. So just who, who are you then? If you're not the Christ, if you're, saying, you're not saying you're the Elijah who's to come back, you're not saying you're the prophet, then who, uh, who are you? It's really quite a contemporary question, isn't it? Uh, Here's what John says uh, about himself in verse 23. He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Uh, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He's actually quoting Isaiah 43. And here's what John says. This is how he describes himself. He says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet, but I am a voice. I am one standing in the wilderness and my message is, is to prepare the way of the Lord. He knows who he is. Uh, they ask him, who are you? Isn't that a question that, that we occasionally ask in our lives? You know, who, who am I? What am I really here for? Uh, what's my life supposed to be about? Well, if you think about John for a second, it's, it, it, it feels like, you know, maybe John has an insecurity complex. Because Jesus says in, in Matthew 11, uh, they ask Jesus who John is, and listen to what Jesus says. He, he says, this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messengers before your face who will prepare the way before you. Uh, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. I mean, that's Jesus talking about John the Baptist. So we have this really interesting picture John the Baptist says, I'm no one. I'm just a voice. I'm crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Jesus says, up until now, there's been no one greater born of woman than John the Baptist. He, he is amazing. There, there is a greatness about him. So what's the real story? Who, who really is John the Baptist? Why, why doesn't John the Baptist see his own greatness? What an interesting thing. We would naturally look at it and say, well, John the Baptist, is, he's got a bad self-image. Uh, he, he doesn't recognize his own. Somebody needs to tell him. Somebody needs to encourage him. Somebody needs to boost him. But here's the truth about John the Baptist. John knew exactly who he was. 
but he just saw himself in light of who Jesus is. That he wasn't looking at his own accomplishments, he wasn't looking at his own place, but he was looking at himself through Christ. And that changed everything for John the Baptist. He wasn't struggling with his self-image, but he has clarity about who he is. They ask him if he's the Messiah, and lots of people were looking for a Messiah. It would have been easy for him to say, well, maybe. It would have been easy for him to string people along, but he was absolutely sure who he was not. He wasn't the Messiah. Another question is, are you Elijah? In Malachi 4.5, there is a verse that talks about that before the Messiah comes, before the Christ comes, there'll be someone, a a prophet like Elijah, uh, you know, in the mold of Elijah who will come and he will prepare the way for the coming of the Christ. So they're wondering, are you, are you that Elijah? And he says, no, but then Jesus says, yeah, John is like that Elijah. Well, in Deuteronomy 18, there's talk about the prophet that will come and and he'll have a role in preparing the way. And so they want to know, is that who you are? But John says, no, I don't want any labels. I don't want anything tied to me because I've come to point to somebody else. I've come with a different message. I don't want you to see me. I want you to see Jesus. I want you to understand who he is. And so that's the message. You see, John, John isn't insecure. John is just really clear about who he is, that he is the voice. But he isn't pointing to himself, but he's pointing to the Christ. He's pointing to Jesus. He wants people to see who Jesus is, not not to see necessarily who he is, but his job is to prepare the way. This phrase, prepare the way, was very common in those days. And when a king would be coming, when a ruler would be coming through uh, to your city, it was, it was uh, typical that they would send people out and they would pick up the rocks and move the boulders and clear all the debris, you know, the broken wheels, whatever does gets cluttered along the road. Uh, and so they would smooth out the road. So when the king came by, when the king came through his city, the road was smooth and straight and ready for the king. And here's what John is saying that I am a voice crying in the wilderness, get the road ready, clear out the obstacles, get everything level and ready because the king, the real king is coming and you don't want to miss him. You want to be prepared for him. Well, it must have been electric to the people standing around listening. The religious leaders, they weren't sure of what to do. But Jesus knows who John is. You see, one of John's problems is he comes from outside the ranks. He doesn't come from one of the rabbinical schools. Uh, He's not a known rabbi. He he claims he's not a prophet. Um, He just claims to be a voice. He claims to be the voice of one crying in the wilderness, calling out, prepare the way of the Lord. John 1, 24 to 28 says this, now uh, they had been sent from the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and so they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're not the Christ, uh, if you're not Elijah, If you're not the prophet, what are you doing here? Why are you baptizing these people? You see, there was a problem because John is baptizing. Uh, Baptism was common in those days, but baptism was a a ceremony that would happen if you were a non-Jew, if you were uh, what they called a Gentile, but there were a group of people called God-fearers, and they were were Gentiles who who believed in the law, they believed in the one God, they wanted to follow the one God, and and they they would then become uh, Jews. You could never fully become a Jew if you weren't born that way, but they would begin to worship as Jews, they would join the Jewish faith, 
they were called God-fearers, and part of the process uh, to become uh, one of the God-fearers was baptism because Gentiles were considered unclean. And so the picture is that they would go into the water, much the way we do baptism, they would go into the water as unclean, and they would come out of the water clean, cleansed. And so John the Baptist is baptizing uh, these Gentiles, but he's also baptizing Jewish people. And it's bothering the religious leaders because they, they can't figure out, they wanna know why would you be baptizing the Jews as well? And the truth is, is he's preparing the way for Christ. He is saying that, that when the gospel comes, when the Christ comes, he is going to come for everyone. He's going to come for all of the people. We all need to be ready for him. So he's baptizing both non-Jews and Jews, both Gentiles and Jews and they're not sure what to do with it. Listen to John 24 to 28. Let me finish this passage. They asked him then, why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John said to them, I answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whom sandal I am not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So they asked him, why are you baptizing? And he said, well, I baptize you with water. There's somebody coming and he is gonna bring his spirit and he's gonna baptize you with the spirit and he is among you, but you don't know him yet because you know, and if you read Matthew accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, you actually have the account of Jesus coming to be baptized by John the Baptist. And in in the, in the first chapter of John, we just have John reflecting on the baptism of Jesus. But here he's saying, Jesus is here. You don't recognize him, but let me tell you who he is. That 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 he is someone, and I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. What an interesting phrase, huh? There were. In, in every culture, there are some things that are so gross uh, that, that it's sort of, nobody will do them, right? We all kind of have that in, in every culture. And if you were living in first century Israel, uh, this would have been one of those taboos because they wore sandals. They really didn't have any paved roads. Your feet would get really dirty. Imagine at the end of the day, you've got dirt caked on your feet. It's been a long, hot day. That is just not a good sight, right? And so they had some rules. They had to set up some rules that if you were a servant in a house, but you were a Jewish servant, then you did not have to untie the sandals of your master. That was one of the cultural rules. Another cultural rule is that if you were, uh, you know, rabbis would have disciples, they'd have students that would follow him around everywhere, and, and one of the roles of these students, uh, these disciples, would be to serve the rabbi, but there was another rule saying that if you are, uh, that the rabbi cannot make one of their disciples, they cannot make one of their students untie their sandals, that it's so gross, it's so bad, it's so horrible that we're not going to allow anybody that's not Jewish, if you're, or that, that is Jewish, you don't have to untie a sandal, and if you're the disciple or a follower of one of the rabbis, you don't have to do it, that there are some rules here. And John isn't saying, you know, that Christ is so great that I'm not, that, that I, you know, I don't want to, it's, that I, all I can do is untie a sandal. John Baptist is saying, I'm not even worthy to untie a sandal. 
I'm not even worthy to do that. That's how low I am. And you see, again, John doesn't have a bad self-image, but he sees Jesus. He looks at who he is in light of who Jesus is. And he sees the greatness of Jesus. He sees the magnificence, the beauty of who Jesus is. And when we put ourselves up against that beauty, when we put ourselves up against the greatness of Jesus, there is no other conclusion but to say, I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. I don't even, I don't even merit to do that. That's how John the Baptist looked at Jesus. Well, the next few verses help us. It says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him, and I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. You know, John's a little bit vague about who he is, but he is not vague at all about who Jesus is. When Jesus comes walking toward him, John looks, and in front of the whole crowd, in front of everybody, he says, look, the Lamb of God. Now, if we really want to see Jesus, we have to look at that phrase, because that's how John describes Jesus. He didn't say, look, the king who came from God. He didn't say, look, the great warrior. He didn't say, the great ruler. He didn't say anything. He said, here comes the Lamb of God. And everybody there would have known exactly what that means because lambs were always a symbol for sacrifice in their culture. And so he is saying that here is the one that God has sent to be a sacrifice, to take away the sins of the world, to take the sins of the world on his shoulders and give his life for our sin, give his life for our rebellion, for our self-centeredness, for all the things that we've done, that he's come to be that sacrifice. That's how John saw Jesus. He didn't announce him as the great king. He didn't announce him as the great warrior. He didn't announce him as a great politician, but he announced him as the lamb, the sacrifice that's come from God. And so if you wanna see Jesus this morning, Part of my encouragement is that you see Jesus as a lamb, as a sacrifice. But it doesn't mean that Jesus is a weak person. It doesn't mean that Jesus is helpless, but what it means is that Jesus came for a purpose, that he came to sacrifice himself because the other part that John says, who takes away the sin of the world, who has the power through his life to take away the sin of the world to give us freedom, to give us eternal life, to take the burden of sin in our lives and to free us, to give us an opportunity to have a right relationship with the God of the universe. That's the kind of lamb that Jesus is. If you wanna know who Jesus is, he is the one who came as a sacrifice, but he is the one who through his life has the power to free us, to forgive us of our sin our rebellion, our selfishness, 
our hatred, our anger, all of those things that keep us from God, Jesus came to give himself for us to take away the sin of the world. He carries it off. He removes it completely. John the Baptist seems to recognize the greatness of Jesus more than anyone else at the time. But we've seen more, haven't we? We've seen even more than than John the Baptist ever saw. We have a more complete picture of who Jesus is than John the Baptist ever had in in his lifetime. We, We can see Jesus. So there's a couple of parts of seeing Jesus this morning. If you grab a hold of this idea that he's the Lamb of God, that he came to be a sacrifice, but that sacrifice has the power to forgive us of our sin. That, power, that, that, that sacrifice has the power to make us a new creation. That that's how powerful that sacrifice is in our lives. If we can begin to see Jesus that way, then we can begin to have a different view of who he is. You see, you might be here this morning and you're a little disappointed with Jesus because he hasn't, he hasn't done all the stuff for you that you expected him to do. That's the same problem that the people in Israel had of the day that they were, they were thinking that Jesus was gonna come and he was gonna overthrow the Romans and he was gonna set up this theocracy, this religious government. That They, they thought all of their, their problems would be solved when Jesus the Christ, when the Christ came, when the Messiah came, that he would fix all of that, get rid of the Romans and establish Israel. And, and Jesus came to, to be the sacrifice uh, for the sins of the world and they didn't see Jesus And so often in our lives, we've created these expectations of what our life is supposed to be like, and it keeps us from really seeing who Jesus is. And we exchange a life that's a new creation. We exchange a life of wholeness and freedom in Christ for for some list of things that we think at this time are important to us that'll probably change in a week or a month or a year. But maybe you're here a little disappointed with Jesus this morning because you don't see him clearly. You're stuck in some uh, illusion of, of your own. So let me, let me just help us look at Jesus this morning. He's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. That he is the God of the universe who came because he loved us so much. He came to give his life. And I don't believe that we'll ever really see ourselves clearly until we see ourselves through Jesus. Where does your value come from this morning? Where where, where does your self-image come from this morning? Are you constantly trying to fix your self-image? Are you constantly trying to fix how you feel about yourself? Are you constantly trying to fix who you are? Because let me tell you that the God of the universe thinks you're fixed. He thinks you're fixed because he came and he gave his life for you. He fills you with his spirit. He lives in you. He says that you're a new creation if you're in him. That's how he sees you. And when we can begin to see ourselves through Jesus, through who Jesus really is, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, we can begin to see ourselves in a new way. We can begin to see ourselves clearly. And it's not about our self-image. It's not about our position, our place, or any of that. But it's about the love of Christ in us and how, what God has done in our lives and how God sees us. And we can begin to see ourselves more clearly. 
So we want to see Jesus. We want to see who he is clearly. You know, um, I wear these, my glasses most of the time, and my worst part of my eyesight is my short distance. You guys are looking really good right now. And uh, far, I can, I can tell who you guys are, but, um, but I could easily get confused. I go through this with, here's another one. I go through this with Jenna all the time. Jenna has this, always says to me, um, Larry, that don't, doesn't, who does that person remind you of? You guys go through this? Who's that person around you? Nobody. No, seriously. No, they don't look like anybody. No, they look like, no, they don't. They don't look like that person at all. No, if you just look at the eyes and the forehead, it's exactly. What's up with that? All right, so, but here's what happens to me. I'm getting dressed in the morning, and I look at the mirror, and Bob, you're looking pretty good. And then I put on my glasses. Whoa, whoa, all of a sudden I see myself clearly. But it's a little bit of a picture of how we see life. When we see life through Jesus, it's like putting on glasses and all of a sudden things come into focus and we see things more clearly. We begin to see life as it really is because, we, because Jesus is the light. Jesus gives us a view of what our life is really supposed to be. So this morning, here's the, here's the challenge. Here's what I'd like you to, to think about. I, I'd just like you to consider the fact that maybe you've been seeing Jesus through the wrong lens. Maybe you've not been seeing the real Jesus. Maybe you haven't recognized the lamb who came to, to uh, give his life, uh, the lamb who came to take away the sin of the world. Maybe you've been seeing Jesus in some other way. And I want to challenge you this morning to take a look at who Jesus is to take a real look at who Christ is, not, not only from the Bible, but in your heart and your life. Who is Jesus this morning? What does Jesus look like to you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for this picture that you've given us, that, that you are the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, Lord, that you came to break that separation, to, to break that barrier between us and the Father. And Lord, we thank you this morning, and we recognize that, and we thank you for your gift, and we thank you for the life that you offer us, Lord. Uh, we thank you that we have been cleansed through you, Lord, that we have new life through you. And Lord, I pray that as we look at you, we would see ourselves more clearly. We'd see how incredibly loved we are. We would see your 